music, it's poetry, it's emotion. It's the current time we live in flashing back several hundred years. Oh, for a voice like thunder and a tongue to drown the throat of war. When the senses are shaken and the soul is driven to madness, who can stand? When the souls of the oppressed fight in the troubled air that rages, who can stand? When the whirlwind of fury comes from the throne of God and the frowns of his countenance drive the nations together, who can stand? When sin claps his broad wings over the battle and sails rejoicing in a flood of death, when souls are torn to everlasting fire and fiends of hell rejoice upon the slain, oh, who can stand? Oh, who hath caused this? Oh, who can answer at the throne of God? The kings and the nobles of the land have done it. Hear it not, heaven, thy ministers have done it. And a whole bunch of other people are in on that, too. So uh, we'll drift Lorena down here a bit. La, la, la. Well, good morning here after a day's unexpected, unannounced day's absence yesterday due to electrical, some kind of electrical stuff. And they're, uh, oh, I hope they're finished replacing whatever they're replacing. So anyway, here we are on the Friday edition. It's the 28th of July, just about towards the end of that good month here. And we'll roll on to the fall, and it's going to be a stem winder, folks, this fall. Uh, of course, we're on the, the uh, we're a, uh, yes, sir. If you could, if you could bear with me for just a second, I kind of got caught with my pants down. I needed to set the conference room to show mode, so give me. All participants are muted, and they can unmute themselves. With star, there we go. thank with, you so much. With star six. Uh, so Roger sales, your host, Roger, the Rogers, uh, freedom school here. We plant seeds and is yours going to sprout? Only, you know, uh, it is, I think I did say the 28th of July here and, uh, all our little get together when we have it, the radio ranch. And then we're on several different platforms. And the guy that knows all about that is the aforementioned Paul Beaner. Yeah, uh, of course we're on EurofolkRadio.com. That was the only uh, stream that was up yesterday. Just to just to explain for the audience, uh, we had the conference line and the uh, the Gypsy Rooms uh, muted. We had a, the the communications lockdown inbounds because we played an archive replay from June. So if you were connected to this show yesterday and trying to get unmuted and it wouldn't let, that is why. It's because there was no Roger for you to talk to. That's right. Uh, yesterday we were on Eurofolkradio.com all the way through. We did have an internet hiccup that took Global Voice Network down. So if that 20 minutes before the end of the show, that also is why. Also on HomeNetwork.tv and Freedom Nation. Yesterday. So, well, you there, Paul? With the room that the backup system that I had waiting. 
all too complex for me. All we do is try and have a radio show. We don't want to play commercials. We don't want to beg you for money. We don't want to do any of that stuff. So we have to deal with things like that. Either or. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me now? I hear you fine. You were cutting a second uh, ago. Am I? Okay. All right. I'm. I'm on. Sorry, folks, as we go through these uh, growing pains, uh, uh, aging pains. Hell, I don't know what kind of pains they are, but we're certainly going through them. Uh, It's the Friday edition. Brent Winters is usually with us. I don't see him show up yet today, but he may be somewhere lurking in one of these conference rooms. I don't think so. I do know that we exchanged a message here about 30, 40 minutes ago, so I think he's on board if he can find a decent wi-fi spot or something brent you with us or not well uh you know the problem with this um intermittent you ain't got no electricity problem i've had is that i just totally lose continuity you know the last time we were together was two days ago and uh yesterday i'm 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 without electricity most of the day so i don't even know what's going on in the world to talk about different issues and uh it's just hopefully yesterday's last one now this is in my neighborhood specifically it doesn't seem to be affecting the rest of the valley here uh but uh yesterday when i I noodled around for an hour or so after they cut it before nine o'clock and so I said, well, I'll just get out of the house. Just sitting around here, and it's totally silent, which isn't all bad. Gives you a good chance to think. Um, so I walked up, and I was going to walk up to the bus stop because I need, need some exercise occasionally. And uh, I went on up, and it was at the top of the hill is where they were doing the work. And so uh, they have a crew of about, I don't know, five, six guys and you know they're up on poles and everything else and they were they were yanking some kind paul it was strange and i don't know what else they did of course but uh i didn't stick around to watch and wouldn't know anyway really uh but i did notice that they were pulling a uh, the other day as they've been doing this work for a couple of weeks and i walk up the street and i saw this uh big aluminum braided coil uh wire you know, like uh, several different strands of aluminum wire twisted into a wire. And uh, I noticed yesterday that's what they were messing with when I was sitting there watching them, and they were pulling it from a main post down through uh, subsidiary uh, posts and a guy at the top and trying to get all that done. It's just uh, unusual. I don't know what that aluminum wire is going to do but or if that's the only thing they did, but hopefully it's the end of this. Main feed, maybe. I don't know. It was above all the other wires. It was kind of up at the top, but I was watching them yank it, you know, through, and they've got excess, and they got to pull the excess up and try and get it to the next pole and all that kind of stuff and yelling at each other and all that kind of stuff. Hopefully it's the end of it, you know, Uh, because that was kind of a main pole up there that they were bringing everything down. And before that, they've been working down here, downstream of that, see, so I'm hoping that was the uh, end of this uh, chicanery we've been going through for the last couple of weeks. Um, cross your fingers. Uh, we'd like to get back into routine. Okay. So, yes, sir. Brent, Brent here. Brent? Is Brent here? Brent, yeah, is, Brent is here. Let me yeah. go through my 
through my spiel real quick and then we can turn it over to him. Okay. Um, I had to connect my phone because my computer here is like fat, flat running out of memory. So um, we're on eurofolkradio.com, radio.globalvoice, radio.net, homenetwork.tv, freedomnation.tv, TikTok, Anthony Berry 8625, and Rumble, Joe Lustica's 1776ER uh, channel. Uh, Yesterday we had an internet failure. Roger had a power failure. We had an internet failure. The Global Voice Network stream was terminated 40 minutes before the end of the show. The Eurofolk stream went all the way through. Uh, the archive that we replayed was from June. I believe it was June 15th or something like that. So you can just go back in the archives and grab the original show if you want to revisit what happened. What, what, Lisa? June what? 7th. June 7th. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, that, that was the archive we replayed. That was an interesting day. Good morning, Brent. Sorry for all the confusion, buddy. We've had some some unexpected events happening around here lately. Welcome. Yeah, I'm not confused because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Boy, about you're, if you're not, you're the only one. <laughs> yeah, I heard you say something about some Ecuadorians on some poles doing something to illuminate. Well, we be, you know, I, I, they've cut our electricity in our neighborhood. They're replacing poles and I guess poles, but at least some wires and stuff for whatever reason, unbeknownst to me. But uh, this is the fourth time it's happened in the last two weeks. And uh, and the fifth time was when it was supposed to happen and didn't happen, and I took the day off because it was scheduled to happen. So it's just this little change out in something in our neighborhood. It's not the whole area. It's just the little neighborhood I live in. So we'll get through it. I'm hoping yesterday was the last one, if we can hopefully cross your fingers maybe. Well, we complain about smallest i do too smallest things and the truth is as you and i have acknowledged periodically through the years it's uncanny that you and i could be in uh, two different continents and have a discussion and other people could listen and make comments and uh, our grandparents would uh, wouldn't believe it if we told them that's for sure you know and i tell for the audience what britain particularly comes to mind when you say that is when you were on one of your trips up to Alaska and you were up there in the Matanuska Valley around Palmer, north of Anchorage, and uh, you were getting in internet on a laser feed. <laughs> and uh, I'm down in Patagonia, South America, and it was a crystal clear broadcast. It was pretty amazing, really. Yeah. You know, uh, Douglas MacArthur, you, he told the story, and I think he told this in his autobiography about his father. His father's name was Arthur MacArthur. And his name, of course, was Douglas. And his father was the youngest recipient of the Medal of Honor during the, that terrible war between the northern and southern tiers of the states. Is that right? And he became a brigadier general at age 19, the youngest brigadier general or general in the, ever in the U.S. Army. And he was from... Uh, well, he was from, that doesn't mean where he's from. At any rate, his brother, or his father, eventually after the war and all the things that happened, he was appointed uh, governor of the territory of uh, 
I believe it was uh, New Mexico. And uh, Douglas lived with, lived him as a little boy when he was on the western frontier. And uh, so Arthur MacArthur, of course, there wasn't any white people out there to mount anything. He would deal them mostly with red men. And, of course, they had a lot of wives. And we don't stop to consider there, were, there wasn't any articulatable law among the tribes, most of them, until the white got here. And they began to try to compete and develop their own written language and newspapers and that. But before that, uh, they just lived any way they wanted. And it was every man for himself. If you wanted a dozen wives, you just took them. And if you wanted to be a pedophile, you did that too, or a sodomite. They just uh, was pretty rotten. Well, he, uh, Arthur MacArthur, being governor and all, he had a meeting with one of the head honchos of one of the tribes and he said, now you're going to have to change your ways here because the great white father in Washington, D.C., that's all they understood. See, he was a dictator, and so that's the way they described him. <clears throat> he says you can't have a, a dozen wives anymore. And this old man was sitting under a juniper tree, and that was a sticking point with him. But he went on to say, if you fellas don't straighten up your act here and follow the Christian point of view a little bit. The great white father, he said, I'll get on, see that, see that little wooden box sitting over there? He said, I'll talk into that wooden box over there, and uh, I'll, I'll talk to the great white father in Washington, D.C. And the interpreter, there was an interpreter there who was an old trapper that had been out west for years, and he was getting real old, and, but he knew the tongue of this tribe, and he uh, hesitated and, he said, I'm not going to tell him that. And the telephone, see, was new, and the wires were then being being strung in some places, and there was no doubt the telephone was going to get to New Mexico, so that's why he said that. And, and the interpreter, the old man, said, I'm not going to tell him that. He said, go on, tell him. <clears throat> Arthur MacArthur told him, tell him. He said, no, I'm not going to tell him. He, he said, why not? He said, he won't believe he won't believe you. He won't believe me if I tell him that. He won't believe what you're saying. He said, I don't care if he believes it or not. It's true, so go ahead and tell him. And uh, according to MacArthur, this old man interpreter rolled a tobacco wad to the other side of his mouth and he said, no, I won't do it. He said, now what's your excuse? He said, well, the truth is, I don't believe you either. I'm not going to lie to the to the man. Well, here we are. <laughs> Do I really think that my great grandparents would believe that you and I are have this platform and we're talking to the world, being in different places, and, and we've known each other for ten years or so and never met? They wouldn't believe it, and you couldn't blame them. I certainly can't explain it, but here it is. Yep, that's us. Yep. <laughs> Well, Roger, tell me what's going on. Well, outside of jumping between these days of no shows, I mean, uh, the weather's been great. Everything's pretty good, you know, here. Uh, I can tell you a couple of interesting things, though. I got a chance to, uh-huh. uh, yesterday I took off and went just to get out of the apartment, you know, I figured I'd go hustle up some lunch and whatnot. And, uh, so I was over at the mall and I ran into Jack, uh, 
and a couple of other of our friends having lunch and they tried to message me that they were going to do it because one of the guys from down on the coast and uh, i didn't get the message because i didn't have my electricity so anyway we stumbled into them and we had a nice talk and this that and the other and um uh, so, uh, the, I got to ask Jack, I had heard a rumor Tuesday at lunch that Ecuador is going to go off of the dollar. Um, now it's quite interesting and provocative because I understand a little bit of what's going on globally with all this stuff. And, you know, we got next month, we've got a meeting in South, uh, Africa of the BRICS countries of which, by the way, they just admitted Iran. So there's more than 140 countries in the world that are going to meet down there. And uh, I, I never did get a definitive uh, uh, donkey tail on that, that rumor. And so I got to ask Jack because I thought it came from him. Somebody said it didn't. And he said, no, I don't know anything about it. But while the electricity was off yesterday, I stepped out. My, my landlords were out on their little, oh, their little patio thing they've got out there. And, uh, uh-huh. I got the chance to talk to them, and the wife speaks English, and she did a student intern thing up in Minnesota years ago, so she speaks English, and um, she used to work, just retired last year, for the Ecuadorian banking, the administrative agency that covers all the banking. So she knows a little bit about it, you know, from a secretarial point of view at least. And uh, so I asked her about it, and she said, well, I hadn't heard anything about that. And we were discussing it, and I'd been thinking about it since Tuesday. That would be a good move for Ecuador, quite frankly. Um, Uh Well, we'll see as the dollar is – man, there's some economic news out there, Brent, that's just flat scary, okay? And Uh it's all coming to a head. The chickens are coming home to roost for sure. But I told her, I said, well, let's see if we can find out if Ecuador is sending a representative to this meeting next month because that will give us some indication. And then again yesterday, Jack said at lunch um, that uh, Klaus Schwab has asked a group of 12 countries, including Ecuador, to stop exporting food or at least greatly diminish we uh we're the biggest exporter in the world of bananas uh they've got a tremendous fr- uh, shrimp industry down there on the coast shrimp farming they do a lot of that uh coconuts and other stuff like that they export of course we're the largest exporter of flowers in the world uh so uh, there's a lot of that going on and their economy's not great and i can't imagine them coming in and agreeing to cut their export uh, a take in but i don't know if they're going to or not but that was floated yesterday so there's a lot of interesting things going on around here and it uh kind of that uh ecuador uh, switching off the dollar would be would be pretty interesting because you know we know these guys don't give you dollars that they just don't give them to you they loan them to you okay yeah so somehow in the arrangement ecuador's got to be paying some type of an of a, 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 a of a percentage of what circulates here i would think and the economy's not in great shape because correa the uh two two presidents passed uh, is the one that hated the imf and basically sold out to china uh had a lot of chinese investment here and whatnot so uh, I don't know, but it would seem to me that it would be very beneficial for them to switch over this BRICS thing. Brent, and I don't know how much you know about it, okay? 
but they're going to an international gold standard as the base of the currency. Now, that will be exchanged between countries, and then the individual countries will take whatever their prime commodity is and link it to the price of gold on a one-to-one ratio. So there's no more un, 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 unjust weights and measures, okay? And then I uh-huh. guess they've set up a gold exchange house in Shanghai, and the countries can take their brick dollars and go exchange them for gold, okay? So that's uh-huh. rolling up, and it's coming. I don't know how long it'll take uh, them to uh, put it into effect or how successful it'll be, but at least it's a move away from the worldwide debt monetary system that enslaves everybody it touches, Okay. So uh, uh-huh. those are the things that are kind of going on down here that are interesting. Well, in the midst of all the madness that's impossible to keep up with, I tell myself, uh, since I don't know everything, and there's no way I'm going to know everything, much less know everything that's happening moment by moment that changes moment by moment. Sure. I just figure I got to get, get along and uh, make things happen and take care of myself as I move along. And I would advise that to anybody because no matter what happens, your responsibilities aren't going to change. There's a, they get tougher and may get easier. Go ahead, Rod. There's a st- statistic that came out Tuesday night that we talked about on the last show I had Wednesday, which is yeah. stunning to me. Okay. And it really illustrates some of these biblical principles. Uh, and the guy is a, a financial guy, and he appears uh, on Jeff Rents not every week, but often on Tuesdays. And he's a Gatling gun of facts. He talks real fast. You know, this article, blah, 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 this one, blah, blah, like that. Yeah. You know, so it's hard to get a grasp yeah. on all of them. But one that he laid out Tuesday night just struck me. Okay, the amount of sovereign debt on the in the bond market. Okay, of which were the collateral for the amount of sovereign debt outstanding in the world is a hundred and thirty three trillion dollars. Okay, the well, amount. Uh-huh. Oh, let me finish. I got the kicker here for you. The amount uh-huh. of gold ever mined since antiquity is twelve trillion. Now I bring that up to you particularly to bring in the biblical reference called the leaven of the Pharisees. And if that isn't a perfect example of the leaven of the Pharisees, I don't know what is. Well, in your view, do you think that um, that unrealistic and false figure is due to the to the cabal called usury? Yes. Well, see, they got this little yes. scheme here where they can literally, and people say they make money out of thin air. You know any bankers that uh, give out money without collateral or compound interest on each side? I, I don't. No. Especially not in the trillions no. of dollars, okay? Yeah, yeah. So all yeah. this comes back to the fact that what we preach around here is through this scheme, they can put a property right on you at birth and then collateralize your future income and just pump out these bonds, see? So all they're doing is using futures again to just pump out what well, we need something. Oh, we'll just crank up the old I, you owe us, and we'll put out some more of this stuff. So all of that is based on the fact 
that they got a property right in you and can collateralize your future incomes the way I see it. Yeah. Well, they claim to be able to do that, and that's their excuse. And, but that's uh, the why in Europe for centuries they called usury the scourge of all mankind. Yes. Because with usury comes this false, it's not really a debt, it's a false debt, but the the Kabbalism of it all is that they convince people that interest really is a debt. And it's not. Never has been. If God says it isn't, it isn't. And anyone who practices that on his own people is a thief and a scoundrel. And as Andy Jackson said, we, we've got to we got to harry the vermin out of our country. It didn't happen. He worked at it. But he saw, having lived as a teenager through the American War for Separation from Britain, he saw that was one of the fundamentals the war was about was the Bank of England. He understood that. And he came to understand it more as he got older. And he that's why he vetoed the charter of the, the renewal of the charter of the National Bank. And he wanted to return America to its foundation. But isn't it something that no matter how we struggle, how we try, the vermin keeps seeping in? People talk about the, the pedos, the pedophiles, and the, and the drug dealers, and the fellows running the prostitution rings and selling girls and women all over the country. Well, at the foundation of that, according to a Christian understanding, is usury. And people say, well, what's the connection between usury and that? Because usury creates an inordinate amount of um, a facade that there's this massive debt. And when you can tell people they're in debt when they aren't, and they are stupid enough to believe it, which they do in mass, then the Bible says they're enslaved. They're enthralled, as a matter of fact, to the point that they support the idea that the banks are too big to, to fail. Therefore, their banksters are too big to jail. We've had that attitude, and bankers are looked upon as pillars of the community. They're nothing but trash. They're nothing but vermin and trash. They're in the churches, putting on their ties, sitting on the front row. Everybody thinks that they're upstanding members of the community, and they come and kiss fannies and want a loan from them, and on and on the madness goes. And otherwise decent-thinking people even think that being a bankster is a upstanding thing to do. Yep, I've known them all my life. I was um, on a radio station in Terre Haute, Indiana. And if you don't know where Terre Haute is, there, Terre Haute's famous for two things. Uh, Larry Bird and Kickapoo Indians. And the, and and the, record, uh, and the record industry, because they, pre- they had press press oh. plants up there that's where our, that's right I rca remember. rca oh. was centered out of Terre Haute, into indiana and the u.s post office uh, got real big there because of that they had to handle all that volume but i don't want to fail to add also that Terre Haute is the home of the founding of the labor unions in america the founder of the railroad union eugene debs worked was from there, worked in the railroads. It's always been a railroad town called the coal mines. Also, that's where the Lewis, John Lewis, uh, began his trek to found the 
coal miners' unions. It was Terre Haute, and then he came down and circled through southern Illinois and then western Kentucky and back into eastern Kentucky and West Virginia. And so it <laughs> it's an interesting place. I'm not going to say it's a nice place always. But um, in Terre Haute, what were we talking about? Unions? What were we talking about? I don't remember. Usury. No, we were talking Musery, yeah. I was going to tell you a story about tarot, but I can't remember what it was. So, well, you oh, know, no. okay. well, while you're noodling on it, and come back to you. You know, the whole thing yeah. is it's such a scam. The whole damn thing is a scam. Uh, yeah. They don't ever loan you money. You go give them a promissory note that's indebted you, and they represent the collateral's value with whatever c- currency they put into the system. I mean, they're not loaning you anything. You know, that's right, Roger, and uh, it's all a scam, but they get us to believe it, and then they get us to to think that this is a good thing. They, the, the banksters, and, well, the banksters, most of them, I have to say, in my experience, are useful idiots because they don't understand what they're doing. All they know is, hey, I can make a lot of money, and they do. I mean, the bank buildings are nice buildings. every falling downtown in America. Yep. Yeah, I drive across the western plains and the Midwest, and every little tiny burg of 100 200, 500 people, even little places, have a bank, and it's the nicest building in town along with the drugstore because drugs are big business and everything else falling down boarded up. Well, that's slavery, friends. I was going to be on, um, on Sundays. Watch Bruce. What's that? Hold on a second. Bruce has got something to say. Yeah, Bruce. Uh, it's worse than that. It's just digits on a piece of paper. That's all. Well, even before that, uh, you know, since the 30s, we didn't have any 30-year mortgages till after 33. I only had 10-year mortgages. That's back in It's a Wonderful Lifetime when uh, uh, the movie It's a Wonderful Life, they would loan out the depositors' money. Well, when they switched the system, they brought in this new little fraud system, and they elongated mortgages to 30 years uh, because, man, that is – you talk about a fat cow – Mortgages are the fat cow, okay? You don't even start paying the principal off until 10 to 15 years into the mortgage. All of your payments are scheduled the way they got it scheduled. Everything you pay for the first seven years virtually is interest. And why? Because they know the average homeowner only owns a home for seven years. So everything is just gravy right off the top. Okay? Yeah, Roger, that, that movie, uh, Hollywood wanted to promote that Jimmy Stewart movie, and they did because it um, it was an attempt after World War II, and a good one, to reestablish the dignity of the banker in America. There can be a good banker. Oh, there were bad bankers in that movie, but there were good bankers like Jimmy Stewart who really cared about people. Right. Well, maybe he thought he did, and there are good bankers like that, but they're buffoons in the sense that they're sucked in to what God says in the Bible, point blank, over and over, is against the law. And it was against the law in all of Europe, including England, for centuries and centuries. But what I wanted to say further about Terre Haute, I remember what it was. I was on a radio station there. We were on three stations simultaneously, 2 FM and 1 AM, clear channel AM station. And uh, I had the morning show. Some of you have heard me talk about that. It was three hours. It was beautiful, Roger. Three hours of drive time. 
radio broadcasting. Now, were That's you what. on there solo, or did you have uh, somebody with you? Well, at different times. Sometimes I was by myself. Sometimes I, I had a fellow come on every Thursday who was the the Wisconsin Synod Lutheran preacher in a neighboring county. He liked to come on, and uh, he his favorite book was the book of Leviticus. And we'd talk about Leviticus. Can you imagine talking about Leviticus? Leviticus is that book. And I've heard people say this all my life. They say, I'm going to read the Bible. And they start in reading the Bible so much every day and they get to Leviticus and uh, they start falling asleep. And that's the end of that because it's that kind of book to most people, but he loved it. So of course you go to Leviticus. It's some pretty hardcore legal stuff, uh, statutes and things and and, uh, about intricate, intricate details well oh, he yeah. liked it but uh we we got to talking about usury and so he was i would say he was as the law would say an expert on the book of leviticus because that's what he loved and we got to talking about usury and of course has things to say about that and he said well usury is money that bites i said what do you mean he said well the hebrew word translated usury and uh, leviticus is a word that means to to hang scorpions and and vipers on the neck and back of a man. Uh, scorpions and vipers, yeah. Well, of course, that's true. You can look, at the, look the word up. You can find out that's what it means. Really, usury is a nasty thing. The Bible presents it that way and says the only people you have a liberty, God's people have liberty to use usury on, to use usury, is your enemies. You never do it to your countrymen, your friends. That's treason. And, and, uh, so we got to talking more and more and more. And, uh, I said, well, I reckon you preach this in your church, don't you? He said, no, I don't. Now he didn't hide it. I said, why don't you? He said, well, that's some of the bankers there in town or in my church, some of the bank presidents. I said, oh, so you don't preach it cause you would offend them. He said, that's exactly right. That's why I don't do it. Now, no more needed be said. I didn't need to hammer him. He admitted it openly. Yep. He didn't want to offend them because they had money, and he wasn't going to say anything about it. And that's the way it works. Now, Roger, people have said to me, and maybe to you on this show, well, Brent hurt himself when he said that, or Brent hurt himself when he did this, and people don't like Brent and all, all that kind of malarkey. And <laughs> what people don't stop to consider is I don't get paid to do this. This is a time I can get on the air and say what the Bible says. That's my greatest joy because it, I'm not here to try to keep money coming in. There isn't any money coming in. So, (laughs) and there's something really, really refreshing about saying the truth of what God said and not worry about it. I'm going to tell you what, I don't give a damn whether they like me or not. I'm going to tell the truth (laughs) to the best of my knowledge. That's one of the reasons we don't do advertising or any of that stuff on here. And this is a this is a truth stream as as well as I know it. Now it's interesting, Brent, that you bring up Leviticus because I wanted to bring up Leviticus today too, and you kind of spurned me there to do so. Um, this uh, we got for some discussion this week on the statement that ignorance of the law is no excuse, and so some of our good students here, Mirka, went in on wikipedia and found the wikipedia page she couldn't find it under the english statement she found it under latin 
and they got a whole page of it. Okay. Uh-huh. And they trace the, that statement back to Leviticus. Now that I didn't catch the statement itself. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Oh, oh, oh yes. Ignorance of the law. Well, it isn't ultimately, except when it comes to the tax code, according to the Supreme Court of the United right. States. Correct. Yeah, but of course, that <clears throat> that's what the Supreme Court says, but I've discovered the lower courts will do anything they can to get around that. Oh, yeah. Precedent be but, damned. Yeah, yeah. Well, though, they make it look like they're following precedent. They're good at it. Real good, I'll say. But uh, it's not what's happening. Well... Yeah, usury is dangerous uh, in the extreme, and it's the mother of all chaos in a culture. Um, there is something more foundational than that, though, but usury is one of those first first principles, but it's not the first of the first principles, I suppose, is the best way to say it. Um, but if we go back in the history of um, even our own Western world, going back to Babylon, even Lord Dalberg Emmerich Acton said that the one issue that has come down through the flow of history through the centuries that will have to be settled sooner or later is the banksters or the bankers versus the people. It's it's a question that has never been settled. And for people to think that you're going to stop it it's not going to happen that way. You're not going to be taken out. That is the foundation of the evil empire. You're not going to you're not going to take yourself out of it. What the Bible teaches, and that's not what history shows us. The Bible teaches us that we must to be taken out of the thraldom of slavery. Must have a deliverer. Now that's what we're going over in the book of Exodus right now. And I'd point out again, talk about Hebrew words. The Hebrew word taskmaster of the book of Exodus, when it talks about the enslavement of the Israelites in the land of Egypt, the word taskmaster is the old English word for tax, T-A-X, that's the way they pronounced it. And we had made the point that all tax is ultimately a tax on your income, whatever has come into you, regardless of what kind of a tax it is, they're taking your money that came into you. Well, that's income tax. But, of course, we distinguish a certain kind of income tax on wages, but still, it's all income tax. And the other thing we've tried to point out from the book of Exodus, that God's way of dealing with income tax to his people, which is the thraldom of slavery, the thraldom called slavery in the modern tongue, thraldom is slavery, and thrall, a thrall is a slave. That's the old Nordic speech, the way they'd say it. And I like that word better, and I use it in the winner's translation of the Bible because enthrallment says more than the, the Slavic word slave, the Latin word slave. Why do I say that? Because thrall includes the idea not only of being abject under the absolute power of another man, a mere mortal. But it also includes the idea of liking it. And that's what slavery is. True, true slavery is being, addic- being addicted to the slavery. Bertrand, if I say that... 
Bertrand uh-huh. Russell, Bertrand Russell, that creep from a hundred years ago in England. That was one of the things I read in one of his writings. The people will love their slavery. That sure, was they do. They do. They, do. they, they flat do. Okay. And the Israelites loved it too. They they weren't willing. They didn't have the fortitude because they didn't have God's spirit. They were worshiping the gods of Egypt when God took them out of slavery. And when God allows men to be enslaved ultimately by uh, usury and tax, the two have to go together. Yes, they and do. There's a reason for that. Yes. This is the intriguing part that makes it difficult. You have to. God has to open your eyes to it. But that's what the book of Exodus is about. And it says that the Israelites in Egypt were worshiping the demon gods of Egypt that God destroyed down there. He lined them up and whooped them in terminal fashion one at a time. That was the ten plagues. But And, of course, the Pharaoh, the emperor of Egypt, was at the top of the pantheon of the gods of Egypt. And he whooped him last, played with him like a cat plays with a mouse, and then slapped the doo-doo out of him and ate him. That's what God does. He doesn't mess around with, but his people, he had chosen out of the world. He chose them out of the world while they were worshiping the gods of Egypt. You can't overstress that. And by doing that, they were enthralled. That means they liked it. See, that's the extra feature that that word thrall brings to the idea of slavery, that not only slavery, but you like to be enslaved and you fall down syrupy like a whore before your master. And that's what they were doing. And when God sailed in, he said, I'm going to take you out of here. And he took them out of Egypt with their heels dug in the sand. He had to drag them out. That's why I say when you're enslaved and enthralled, when the ultimate, when it ultimately comes around and you're stupid enough to say, well, banking's a good thing. We need the bankers. They provide money for us and all that kind of talk. That's being enthralled. Have you ever been there? Did you grow up in a world where you were taught it's a good idea to learn how to open a bank account? It's a good idea to learn how to take out a loan. It's called enthrallment, which is... Keep that credit rating up. Keep that credit rating up. Yeah, yeah. Take out a loan, pay it off quick, then you got good credit. Right. I was taught that by some people growing up. Right. And uh, there's a reason... Now, I say this in all conviction. I, I know men that I, I, I grew up, Roger, as you probably did, awash in a sea of World War II veterans. Oh, yeah. my, the generation before me and my parents' generation, that was what they were. All these men around. And, and there was this one fella at a little tiny bank in this little tiny town that was six miles from And he was a good guy. He was a farmer. That was a farmer's bank. Everybody knew it. Everybody loved it. Their bank in their little town. <clears throat> and uh, I knew men came back from the war. I remember this back to when I was a child. That uh, that farmer, everybody loved him. <clears throat> he got to be president of that bank. And he'd say to young men that came back from the war, I know your family. I know you. I know that you have principle." And I know you have the ability to work hard. If you see a piece of land that you think you could work, you don't worry about the paperwork. Of course, they didn't know a thing about it anyway. You just come to me. My James together will get that land. 
you provide the labor, I'll provide the money, and we'll do good. And I know men, a lot of men, that fortunately for them, they worked like Hebrew slaves and paid off their debt 50 years later, and they did okay. I know others that went down in that arrangement. But he really believed that he was offering these young men an opportunity to bootstrap themselves up in the world, and I hasten to add, some did. But that's not what God wants, friends. He wants he doesn't want farmers that come to the bankster every year to get a loan so he can put out his crop. And I know farmers that do that year after year. That's silly stupidity. A man on a farm may ought to figure it so he can make money somehow that he can put out his own crop and get ahead. But the banksters don't want that. Of course they not. want again the young man that's working hard, that's got a family. And I, that's why I say we're enthralled with the whole idea. This older fellow that was the president of the bank, he was enthralled with this system. Hey, I can, he's blinded by the money he can make and thinking he's helping somebody else, just like in the Jimmy Stewart movie. That is contrary, head on contrary to the law of God. And remember, remember, the law of God won't save you and salvation doesn't come through the law of God. I was listed, but it will give you something to us. You will want to aspire to it once you're a Christian man or woman. And if you don't want to aspire to that, I say there's something wrong with you. You better go back and check your foundations, check your premises. Something's missing in your birth from above that maybe you thought you had. Listening to an old, old song on the radio last night. And the old, old song, the words of it said that after... He was converted by the blood of the lamb. The law, he says, the law I spurned. That was what I loved. The law I spurned. I like that word spurned. That gets it. Because Christian people in America are taught to spurn the law of God. What a, what a hellish attempt to rob the Christian man and woman of their, their dignity. You know, you don't have any dignity without orders. You don't have any dignity without orders. B.B. Warfield, great theologian, professor of New Testament language and literature at Princeton University until all up into the 1920s. What a man. What? Of course, he wasn't. He was a sinner like everybody else, and I can point out what I believe to be some of his mistakes, but you talk about a man that worked hard at it and, and taking care of a invalid wife that became an invalid days after they were married. And when he was young, he took care of her every day, personal nurse to his own wife. I don't know how he did what he did writing all those books, but he made the point. I read a piece by him years ago and uh, was uh, called uh, being under orders, being under orders. And he starts out and he says, the glory of the soldier is that he has orders. That's the only glory of the soldier. And then he quotes Kipling, Kipling's poem. And he called the, the, we'd say in American, we'd say the heathen. In England, they call him the heathen. You know, they don't pronounce the H's clearly. But the name of the poem is the the heathen. And uh, the poem says the heathen in his blindness bows down to wood and stone. He don't obey no orders. 
unless they be his own. The heathen in his blindness knows not what he is about. So along comes the British regiment and pokes the heathen out. But the phrase he wanted to focus on was, the heathen in his blindness bows down to wood and stone. He don't obey no orders unless they be his own. That is not dignity, my friends. That is not honor. We are under orders. That is the glory, says B.B. Warfield. That is the Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield. That is the glory of the Christian man is to be under the order, orders of his captain. His orders are his law. The will of the sovereign is law. And that is what you, my friend, should focus on. And that is what God will do with you once you aspire to his will, called his law. He will do with you things greater than you can read in the Bible, says the Savior. But he will drag you out of your misery and out of your, well, it's not misery, you're enthralled. You like to be told what to do. Don't tell me that the Romanist doesn't like the Pope to tell him what to do. He loves it. He's enthralled to it. Don't tell me that the Judiac, the Babylonian Judiac, doesn't love to have that, that rabbi upon whose words he hangs like a tick sucking blood. Don't tell me he doesn't love it. He does love it. Don't tell me that the Islamic man doesn't love the imams, the ones that he says are specially trained in the art of logic to tell him what to do. He doesn't know squat about the Koran. He's told what to do. Like the Pope demands, don't read the Bible for yourself. I'll tell you what it means. That every false religion, many of them unknown, those are the two major, three major ones. Well, you in the know, world. it takes away personal oh. responsibility when you do that. You hit the nail with your proverbial head, as Hendrix used to say. <laughs> I agree. That's what it's all about. <clears throat> oh, we'll tell you what to do. That's slavery. So we'll, uh, let, let some leader of the largest pedophilia ring in the world called the Pope of Rome substitute your mind with his. No, Is that stupid? The Bible says, and it uses the word that means stupid. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, you stupid Galatians. Paul was so upset he just flat called him stupid. That is stupid. That means thick and slow. Here's another good word while we're on the Tasmanian Word Association Hour. Uh, another good word is dollard. That's a word we ought oh, to resurrect. Yes, yes it is. That's a good word. <laughs> well, <clears throat> we're in a deplorable condition, friend. Don't tell me people out here don't love the bankers. They love slavery. They love to get a loan. They want that instant Money, they want to have what they want right now. Young people want to have a nice house, a car, carpet, wall to wall. No, they need to live on the street with their wife for a few months. Under the bridge. And maybe live down shanty a few months and work like a Hebrew slave. And, and then when they get something, they'll keep it. Otherwise, they won't. That's how rotten the heart of man is. It takes a hard God who can be hard. Well, at the same time, you know he loves you, but he can be hard and is hard. You know, it's like <laughs> Anne of Green Gables. You ever read that book, Roger? No. 
Anne of Green Gables, that's the life story of the poet laureate of Canada. Her name was Anne. There was a movie series made of Anne of Green Gables, too. And she she was an orphan girl, a redheaded orphan girl that was put on a train and sent to the maritime provinces of Canada. And there was a an old maid and a and her brother lived together. Would that be Nova, wanted, Nova Scotia and up on the the eastern? Yeah, part? yeah, up on the yes, the yes, Nova was it? No, I think it was Nova Scotia, but somebody can go look. Uh, but they had a farm, and they wanted to. They didn't have any children, neither of them married, and they wanted a, a girl to come and live with them to help them. They were getting older, and in those days you could apply for an orphan, and they'd ship one to you. And they were trying to find out how to deal with these orphans. Well, this orphan girl had a, a very, a very uh, creative mind, and she didn't have parents, and she liked to write poetry, and she wanted an education, and she worked hard. And The story is fascinating, but the... This uh, this uh, old maid there, she was a sweet gal, and she got so she tried to help Anne. Of course, she helped. She loved Anne. It was Anne was her daughter. That's what it boiled down to. And her brother was her father. And uh, <clears throat> she worked hard and made good grades in school. And she went off to college to get an education. And the story about how she was abused and <clears throat> put upon, and she became a school teacher and. Well, during that time, she first had men that courted her. And the, the story is about these two men, Court and Ann. One of them was a school chum. When she was in school, he made good grades, and he wanted to go to medical school, and he eventually did. But they had a fallen out, and a rich man who was a shipper, owned ships, and he was in the merchant business. Uh, she met him because she got a job teaching at this high-class, rich rich man's school where people sent their children to go to school, private school. He fell in love with her. And she was talking about how tough a choice it was to make between this poor boy who was obviously going to be a medical doctor and this man that was established. And they were both going after a real hard. And this rich man was going after her. And she was discussing all this, this woman that raised her. And, uh, she said, well, you don't want an evil man for a husband, do you? And Anne said, and this is her telling the story, she said, no, I don't want a man that's evil, but I want a man that's capable of evil. <laughs> well, what she was saying was she wanted a man that could meet force with force in case the evil man came along. I think that's kind of the idea, and that is the is an important uh, part of being a man no matter how physically strong you are and how big you are how small you are you must meet evil with whatever you meet evil with to stop it and that's a, a very important biblical doctrine by the way that is again not dealt into much but we as men must know how to do that roger i've been jabbering uh I'll well, take a i've never heard i've never heard of ann green gables uh whatever now, I'm going to use some personalities here of church history and attach this Anne of Green Gables a little bit. Now, some of you have heard of a present-day pastor. He's called the greatest Bible teacher in America. 
I would challenge that notion, except to say he's one of the most well-known, if he's great in that way. And he's not a bad man. He's a tolerable, good Bible teacher. You can learn a lot from him. And his name is John MacArthur. Well, John MacArthur's grandfather was pastor to Anne of Green Gables growing up. Mm. And uh, and um, her Christianity, she was a Christian woman. Uh, it was a Presbyterian family. And uh, her his grandfather was pastor. And then his father is just another footnote. John MacArthur's father was pastor of the church where Roy and Roy Rogers and Dale Evans went to church and uh, in Southern California and Roy Rogers and Dale Evans always until um, they died, made a profession of Christian faith because of the teaching of John MacArthur's father. And I, don't know how that all works. Uh, how far do you push it? Of course, Roy Rogers and John MacArthur's grandfather were hardcore Masons. That's true. And I don't know about his father. I don't remember. Now, whether or not John Jack, they call him, uh, the one that's, uh, well, he's very old now, too, and he's not doing too well. He's up in his 80s. And, well, I just say he's having a hard time. I'll say that about him. I hate to see any man have a hard time, suffer. <clears throat> He's having a hard time. He stood stalwart on the New Testament. I'll give him that. And there's a lot you can learn from him about the New Testament. He never preached the Old Testament. That's one of the great criticisms men have made of him. But he did preach entirely through the New Testament, uh, probably more than once. But he, uh, he was one of those fellows that went so slow that you'd have to drive a stake in the ground to see if he was moving. Um <laughs> I think it took him something like 30 years to get through the New Testament book by book. Maybe more. He started, I believe, in 1969 or 70 and finished in the 90s. Well, that would be, well, at least 25. I'll see. Well, pretty near 30 years. Yeah. Somewhere around that. Close enough. Yeah. Well, he broke it down as much as he knew how. And funny thing is, I can go... I can go to the Bible and say, you know, he did break this down here, but I can see more. <laughs> There's always more. And that's true of all of us. That's the beauty of God's word. It's inexhaustible in its application. Oh, well, it's it fixed. allows you to stand on some uh, someone else's shoulder. It allows you to stand on someone else's shoulders. Yeah, oh, no question. Yeah. Not a lot there. Well, I'm just jabbering to jabber, so I'm going to take a breather, Roger. Well, let's see. Um, a, lot, a lot of interesting stuff there. Did anybody have any comments or questions on uh, what we've gone over to this point? Hey, Brent. Hey. hey. Some, I think that's Joan. Uh, yeah, everything, you, uh, some things you said earlier today and things you've been saying on your in church, uh-huh. you're... You, you're saying that our father, Yahoha, does not want his people to pay income tax, right? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And I'll tell you why yeah. I don't say that. It, Jesus okay. Christ is, is Yahoha in human flesh that oozes from every verse and word of the Bible and every phrase. And, I'll say that. And secondly, uh, Jesus Christ had things to say about taxes. Where did he say it? Well, he said it. He, he's the author of the Bible. He is Yahuwah. He said it all over the Bible. 
And right now we're going through, we're going through God's fundamental method of removing men from the evil empire. And he tells that narrative in the latter part of the book of Genesis and moving into the book of Exodus. Exodus is called Exodus because it is about the exit of God's people from the thraldom of income tax, which is tax on your production, your labor. That's what it's about. That's foundational to understand as the prototype of all understanding of the new birth and what happens in the new birth. That's the wonder of going through that narrative. And I invite people to come on Sundays to Patriot Soapbox. Go to commonlawyer.com, www.commonlawyer.com, and you can you can join us by clicking on a link. Now, um, God, Yahoha, did not say, and that's who took them out, and they had, that was the, the personality speaking from the burning bush. Remember, Moses said when he found the burning bush, remember Moses was on the lamb at that time. He was wanted for murder in Egypt because he murdered an Egyptian. He ran. He got rabid in his blood, and he hightailed it across the desert sand until he wound up in Midian. On the backside of Midian, he went from the courts of Egypt, being the most powerful nation in the world, and him right in there with the the god of Egypt, Pharaoh himself, to watching his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of Midian out in the wilderness. He saw the bush burning. It didn't consume. It fascinated him. He got closer. And a voice came out of the bush and identified himself as Yahoha, and that's the famous print, falsely translated, I am that I am. It's not a verb of being. The name of God is not a verb of being, I am. It is a verb of action, but yet undefined. The context will always provide the action. And it's in the third person singular, Yahoha. It means he happens or he happens, he becomes, he betides, he occurs, and he comes to pass. He is the one that makes all things happen and permits all things to happen that do happen. And he's in charge of all things. He is sovereign. And he is the God that he instructed Moses to tell the Pharaoh of Egypt that Yehovah has commanded his people to go out into the desert, lie to him, they said, go out into the desert, for three days and worship Yahuwah and we'll be right back. That was a lie. Well, that's all in the text and in warfare, that's all part of it. But no place in the Bible do I see a command that says do not pay income tax. Listen to me very closely. The Bible teaches in the law of God to give money, the payment of a tax that amounted to much more than 10% into the coffers, the treasury of Israel. You add it all up, it comes to more like a third of your income. So Jesus Christ did not say, don't pay income tax. But the odd odd thing, uh, curious to us is, in the Old Testament, there was no enforcement 
mechanism to that. Why? Well, God says that he loves, he loves a, a giver that is cheerful. Forcing a man to pay a tax isn't something you do and to cheerful. A hammer over his head doesn't make him a cheerful giver. God does not do that to his people, amazingly. That's why he says, God loveth a cheerful giver. That's a commentary on the, the tax system. You call it a tax. It's really not a tax if you're cheerful about it. It's not taxing. It's not a task. It's something you enjoy doing. The Bible says God blesses. He blesses um, the cheerful giver, and it's more blessed to receive or to give than it is to receive. That's a commentary on the Old Testament income tax law. Let me if I can illustrate this. When I was running for U.S. Congress, I was running against a fellow that was a supporter of William Jefferson Clinton, alias Slick Willie himself. Slick Willie. And Slick Willie's vice president was a galoot by the name of Al Gore. Al Gore. You know, the inventor of the Internet, you remember? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Good old Al. Al. Al's making millions now because he's, he's saying what the useful idiots of the evil empire want him to say, and they give him money to say it. Uh, global warming will destroy the planet. He's making millions just saying that. He knows it's not true. But at any rate, he's saying it. He may have convinced himself it's true because he's doing such evil. But I remember at that time looking into the income tax forms of Al Gore and the president, Clinton, and some others. But I remember Al Gore specifically. Now, in the year in question that I looked into it, and I talked about it a lot when I get on the stump and was stumping, Al Gore, in the year in question, <clears throat> made $400 of contributions to charitable causes. Four hundred dollars his income was in the millions and he donated to charitable causes four hundred dollars now how do you do that well you you lie you cheat you manipulate on your tax return and uh, get away with it as hunter biden's getting away with things oh no he's not getting away with it well ultimately he's a suffering sob son of belial He's a miserable as dog dirt. Uh, that's the what that's what law breaking does to all of us uh, against our maker. Drugs, whores, just goes on and on. You know, he doesn't stop. He can't stop. It's not even possible no. that he can stop. Money, liquor, opiates. Well, getting back to the story, Al Gore gave four hundred dollars, but at that time he was telling people they need to make further contributions to the income tax. <laughs> He wasn't, paying, he wasn't paying any. Why? Why does? Why did he say that? Because he is marching to the tune of a different law than, than God's people. They love God's law. He hates it. It's the law he spurns. So he is marching to the orders of a different law, the devil himself. And if you have, to quote Roger, to quote Roger Sales, if you have a different law, you have a different lawgiver. And if you have um, a different lawgiver, that's a God, that's your God, you have a different law. That's the truth. That's the way it works everywhere with every man, every woman, no question, no exceptions. He has a different God. He has a demon God. And so he 
wants to do everything he can to get money out of other people to steal, steal, kill, and destroy, destroy the lives of young people trying to raise families. The income tax is evil like that. But Jesus Christ never said that. What did Jesus Christ say? Can you find a statement in the Bible where Jesus Christ says to pay tribute and income tax? It, it's hard, you'd be hard-pressed, or, or in the law of God, hard-pressed to find a place where the Bible says pay the income tax. Matter of fact, the passage that's often quoted, by the way, John MacArthur quotes this passage, and he says, the Bible teaches that you are to pay your income tax. I don't find any place in the Bible mm-hmm. uh, pay the income tax to the federal government. That's um, what he says. The Bible teaches. Brent, I, uh, I, and I, yeah, I wish yeah. it wasn't so many years ago, and my memory's got well, I got a lot thrown at me in those years uh, in the uh-huh. seminars from John. And on this yeah. topic right here, and I just I've tried, I can't pin down, but maybe we can talk about it here. When uh-huh. Jesus was with the disciples in Galilee, and they were uh-huh. in the boat. And they pulled the fish out, and he pulled out a coin from the fish's mouth and uh-huh. said, the, uh, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's, right? Well, you've got a lot of facts in there, a little mixed up, but you've got well, the point across. It wouldn't surprise yeah. me if I got some of that mixed up. But I'm trying to <laughs> reconstruct okay. the story because it has That's a bearing right. on what we do here and the point he That's was right. making. So could you clarify some of that for me and us? Well, bottom line, and this is what MacArthur says, when Jesus Christ said, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar and give unto God that which is God, and I've heard him say it. He says right up front, what does this mean? Before before the, the sermon ever starts, he says, what does this mean? He says, pay your income tax. That's what it means. Right. Pay it. Boy, I mean, he's strong on it. And he also goes to Romans 13 and says, obey the government. And he also advised, and I'm quoting Matt Truella, Matt Truella is a pastor. I know Matt. I've traveled with Matt, pastor of a church in Wisconsin, and he's a four-point Calvinist, <laughs> whatever that is. <clears throat> but uh, he's one of the foremost ad- adversaries to the abortion industry and has been for years. That's, he, he teaches the Bible, but that's a, always been a big thing to him. He's a peach of a guy. His wife's a peach of a gal, too, by the way. <laughs> they just tickle me. But Matt says in his research that John MacArthur, uh, when the assistant chief of police of Los Angeles, city of Los Angeles, who uh, I've met him there, I I don't know him, but he's, he's a very well-known man, uh, a peach of a guy too. Uh, trying to remember his name. He was at that church for years, but he came to MacArthur. He said, let's talk about some counsel here. I just want to talk about what you think ought to do biblically. I've got all these abortion uh, protesters outside the abortion clinic. It was something was going on at a certain time and it got real heated. He said, what should I do? And MacArthur said, well, here's what I think the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches they're to obey the government. And if they're not obeying the government and they're in the way, then they have to be removed and arrested. Well, not only did the boys from the LAPD come in and arrest them, they broke their arms <laughs> and you can watch the video and hear the, hear the bone snapping. That's what cops are thumpers, as you know. They just thump people. They like to beat people up. Why? That's what they're good at. That's the kind of that's the kind of personality that um, being a cop draws. They want to kill people and fight and shoot people, and they enjoy it. That's what they do. That's why police are dangerous. 
have always been dangerous and always will be and are not part of our common law tradition, for sure. Uh, but MacArthur is of the opinion, John, of the opinion that Romans 13 says obey the government no matter what. Now, that's in an inexcusable position, in sure my is. humble opinion. Mine too. I don't want, yeah, again, I don't want to say that you can't learn things from John MacArthur. He's worked very hard all his life trying to interpret the Bible. I'm well familiar with his family and what they, what he does. And, uh, you know, God uses all sorts of men, and none of us have it all straight. But well, he has given authority to us, uh, different ones of us in different areas, to do certain things, and uh, we all try to do the best we can. But order is the overarching, trumping law principle of God. We follow order with authority. That doesn't mean you all always obey. That means you always show respect. So when it comes to the government, when it comes to Jesus Christ, render under Caesar, under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, under God the things that are God's. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, in a minute. But overarching all of that is order. The magistrate, the man, that's, even the bureaucrat that stands in position where he is, you don't show disrespect to him as a man. And you do not show disrespect to his, his position. I don't care whether it's lawful or not. You don't do it. It's a position of power. God has allowed it, my friend. Do not show disrespect. You want to defeat him? You won't do it being nasty to him. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, what will you do it with? You will do it by, by being convicted. That means you won't change no matter what. About a law that is utterly contrary to the law of God. Now, let's back up a minute. That's the overarching principles, respect. You can never go wrong, my friend, showing respect. Now, sometimes you got to get rough. And sometimes a man even is justified in killing another man. But you don't torture him before you do it. And you don't des desecrate his body after you do it. And you show all due respect to his family if it happens. It's an ugly thing. But I'm just making the point respect is not some things in God's order of law. It is all things. But that doesn't mean that obedience is always present. I have disobeyed my own father. My own father disobeyed him with the greatest of humility. One time I said, Dad, I can't do that. And I had my head down, and I, I didn't want to be in a position of dominating my father. I, matter of fact, he was an old man then. I just sat down because I didn't want him to feel like I was trying to dominate him because he's, well, he's an old man. He's 97. And uh, he said to me, <laughs> my, da my dad, and he, we were, he was pretty heated. You know what he said to me, Roger? This is fascinating. This wasn't that long ago. He said, stand up and, stand, and, and straighten yourself up like a man. That's what he said to me. And I said, Dad, I don't want you to think I'm trying to dominate you. I just, I can't do what you're asking me to do. Show respect. And I'm not saying I've, I've always done it properly. I'm just using that as a personal example. I tried to do it. And that's what you got to try to do, do if you're God's man or God's woman. But it doesn't mean you always obey. Well, uh, back to what Jesus Christ said, show me a coin. That's the narrative. Show me a coin. And they had brought the coin to him that the tax was to be paid with. And he said, uh, whose image that's called an icon? Remember, an icon is a two-dimensional representation of an animal or a man. That's called an icon in the Bible. 
of an animal or man, because the reference is to thou shalt make unto me no graven images, back to the first and the second commandment of the ten, so-called commandments. Icon is a two-dimensional, it's on a flat surface, surface representation of a man or an animal. A, an, a, a, an idol is a three-dimensional representation. We call them statues. You know, a crucifix would be an idol. Um, a picture of Jesus is an icon. Well, both of them are forbidden, by the way, utterly forbidden. The Bible is clear. The law of God is clear. And there's a lot of reasons for that that are fascinating beyond what people hardly ever talk about. Well, but coming back to whose image, that means icon, whose likeness is stamped upon this coin. And uh, they said Caesar's, because he's the god of the Roman Empire. Yes. Remember, the Pope of Rome is the continuation of the Roman Empire with a Christian label. The Pope of Rome is the ghost of Rome, sitting on the grave of Rome, in the throne of the Emperor of Rome, wielding the law of Rome. That's a fact. And so you have this imperial commander who is lawgiver, uh, from whose decision there is no appeal, they say. Well, that's what the emperor was. Whose image is on the coin? Caesar. What's Caesar? What was he called? What was his title? His title was the same words, the same words that Mark uses when he opens his, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. Mark says, Jesus Christ, weoth, weu theu, son of God. That was Mark slapping the Roman emperor right in the kisser. That's what that was. That's why he said that. No, no, you're not, you're not the son of God. Here's the son of God over here. And the Roman emperor, like all Skions, like the Japanese emperor, if they don't call themselves son of God, Japanese emperor did, they take on all these features as lawgiver, as Hitler was comfortable doing for whatever reason. That's called anti-Christos also in the Bible, uh, in place of Christ. Well, called him son of God, he was, his image was on the coin, and Jesus Christ said, okay, the coin bears the image of who? Caesar. The image of Caesar. You give unto God that which bears the image of the true lawgiver. Well, who's that? What bears the image of the true lawgiver? Well, you go right back to the very beginning of the book of Genesis, the creation of our granddad, our grandpa, Adam made him out of the imagination, imagination, the image of God's mind, he made our grandpa Adam. The image that he made in the image of who? Yahuwah. Who is Yahuwah? He is that member of the triune Godhead, Jesus Christ. What's he look like? Well, he's got two eyes, a nose, a head, two hands, feet, and Adam... Adam was made out of dirt. Yahoha made him out of dirt to look like what God imagined man would look like and did look like and he would make look like. And the Bible calls Jesus Christ the second Adam. So, give unto Caesar. Oh, it's got his image on it. He has title to it. Title, the money's his. Give it unto him. But what has t- the important point here, the point he was driving at was that which bears the image of God, you give all that to him, all of it. To put it into the Latin, your person. Your person, that word encompasses everything about you, everything you own, everything you are, all of your reputation. 
You put it in his hands. It's his. That's the point. Not pay your income tax. Listen, when you come to the Bible, when you come to any writing of legal significance that illustrates, any writing of legal significance that illustrates, uh, take one point out of, out of the illustration, the parable, the metaphor, one point, and use that and understand there is one point being made and use that. That's the one that's applicable. Jesus Christ uses usury to teach about the kingdom of God. He uses usury. He talks about the servant that was given quite a bit of money. And he went and buried it. Or as they say in the Wabash Valley, he buried it. And when the master came home, the slave, the master came home, he said, why didn't you give it to the bankers to loan it out, make me money? You knew I was a hard man. And it says he cast that unprofitable slave into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Jesus Christ telling the story. He's quoting Isaiah about hell, the characteristics of hell. But he said, cast him out. The point wasn't that he should have went out and practiced usury unless he meant against enemies because the law of God says, yes, use usury on your enemies. You be the head, not the tail. You enslave them. How? With usury. But don't enslave your your Christian brother or your country. Don't do that. But the point of that story is... uh, among all points is God has given you whatever ability he's given you and little as much, little as much when God is in it. He'll take that and magnify it beyond anything you can imagine. I don't care who you are and I don't care what you can do or can't do. And all of us are fraught with all sorts of limitations, but you do that. And that's what that, is about. It's not about paying income tax. You can maybe say something else about income tax in the Bible. Jesus Christ did not say there, pay your income tax. He did say there one point. The one point he's driving home is what? The one point he's driving home is you give everything you have to God. That's what you're missing. Dodo, he's saying to the Pharisees and everybody listening. And that's what the tithe is, the tenth. It is a representation, just a representation and acknowledgement, a small acknowledgement, that everything you are and everything you have belongs to your maker. And that's what the Sabbath is, by the way, too. The Sabbath is not, I'm going to keep the Sabbath, and that's the law of God, and the Sabbath is this. That's good. That's all right. I understand what you're saying, but keep in mind that the Sabbath is one small representation of acknowledging that every day, According to Hebrews chapter 4, every day is the Sabbath of God. That's what that is. So we're not doing things. God doesn't need what we have. We're not helping him. He doesn't need our help. He He doesn't even need our love. He doesn't even need our love. He likes it, doesn't need it. Matter of fact, he is, as his name indicates, Yahuwah, he is self subsistent. He is the only creature that is self-subsistent. He is uncreated. Man can't explain that. God doesn't explain it. He doesn't need anything we have. He owns everything anyway. It's under his control. He is Yahuwah. He is the happening one that makes all things happen. That's the comment that I can make clearly about that passage. Beyond that, you want to know about income tax and how God deals with it according to his people, vis-a-vis his people? Come to Patriot Soapbox on Saturdays and Sundays and listen. And we'll talk about what the Bible says 
about income tax and how God takes his people out of it. I want you to come and listen because no matter how much explaining a fellow can do about this subject called income tax, there's a lot more that we can say about it. But what God says about it is final. And how God deals with it is final. And that is his illustration, down-to-the-ground illustration, about how he deals with income tax. You know, I'm all all slavery. One more thing, Roger. All slavery. We said this Sunday is a form, some form of income tax. That's the ultimate slavery. That's why the Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender, and that's what was going on there. You know, think about even slavery. We say in the United States that we had slavery here, and in some of the states, and all of them, all of them at one time, north and south. But that slavery was a tax on what? on the production of another man. That's what it was. Yes. That's income tax, friends. I don't care how you cut it. Income tax is slavery, and slavery is income tax. Period. Exactly. That's the teaching of the Bible. That much I can say for clear. And as I I don't want to speak beyond the Bible, but I want to say this, Roger. Maybe I should say this, too. (laughs) Always one more thing to say in there. If you go up against the powers that be, I like that phrase, too. Who's the government? That's the most powerful party. That's the the government. The most powerful party, that phrase, William Tyndale, he coined it, never been used before, he coined it, Romans chapter 13. The powers that be when he translated the Bible from the original tongues. That gets the point. The state, the status quo. When you go up against them, recognize that they will whoop the daylights out of you if you square off with them. And Jesus Christ commands us not to do that. He does that in the Sermon on the Mount, clearly. And it's the phrase translated, do not resist evil. That's a poor translation. That's the King James. That's poor translation today. Maybe in their day, they understood it differently. That's often true with the King James Bible. But that doesn't mean that today, do not resist evil. No, as a matter of fact, Peter the Apostle says, resist evil. Resist the evil one and he will flee from you. But how do you do that? Well, what Jesus Christ says there, clearly the Greek text is clear. He says, do not square off with evil. Do not draw a line in the sand and say, let's have this out. Do not try to argue to the evil empire, the federal income tax code, and think you're going oh, to no. convince them of something. <laughs> their brains are in the, the brain dead to start with. Forget it. They don't care. Do not argue the regulations to them. Do not square off with them. Do not think you're going to win with them using their system that's what Jesus Christ says clearly. That's the application of that. What does he say instead? Be as harmless as doves. Doesn't he say that? As wise as serpents. Well, let's think about that a minute. What does a serpent do? Does he square off with his enemy? Never, never, never. No, he's not fast enough. And unless he thinks thinks he can't get away because he's not fast enough or he's in a corner, in both cases he's cornered, he might strike out. But he doesn't go after the enemy. He lays and waits for him. Now also the dove. Does the dove attack people? No. Does the dove square off with anybody? No. What does the dove do? Well, like the Bible says, he sees danger, he flies. The dove sees, knows danger, perceives danger. He flies. What does the snake do? He hides in the grass. He even hides from his food. Not his, he doesn't have any enemies except people want to kill him. He doesn't attack anybody. 
Why did he use those two animals to present that? Because he's saying, do not square off. Listen, only an idiot, George Washington himself, did not square off with the powers that be. True. Seven years, Roger, seven years is a long time to in, to refuse to engage the enemy. He didn't engage him unless he didn't have any other, any other choice. No, they called him the fox. The British called him the fox. Right. He was always dodging. He did attack at Trenton, but he got his carcass out of there quick. The reason he did that was to encourage people and hope Congress would give him more money so he could keep going. He had to have something to show for it, but he waited and waited and waited until he knew he had him cornered, knew he had enough men, knew that the French fleet was offshore barricading, and they finally then whooped the pants off him. That's what God says for us to do. Wait, wait, do not square off until you know that you've got superior forces because in battle, my friends, there's two things that are always true. He who has the greatest numbers wins most hardware, the most artillery, the most men. And that's in God's timing because he's the one that holds the power over all that number and artillery. Number two, you can't pay a man $100,000, $200,000 a year to fight and die. But you can give him $10 a day and tell him he's a patriot and he's fighting for his family right. and he'll do it. What that's it, right. What that, a, men what have been a, doing that. And that's that's true. If you really are fighting for what's behind you, instead of trying to really attack what's in front of you, if you're if what's most important is what's behind you, you'll fight for the right reasons. Right. Your wives, your children, and your home. What that's was... why it's upside down, of course, to send women into battle. That's just silly, and it destroys all proper motivation for battle. But getting back to the point. God says he will fight your battles. He's the commander. You obey his orders, and he will whoop the pants off of your enemies, and they will run from you 10,000 ways, naked and screaming. And I've seen it, my friend. But if you don't know the orders of God and you don't follow orders, he'll just get out of the way and let him, let you fight him. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. they got more firepower than you. They're going to take you down. I've been in the courts against the IRS more than once. I know what goes on with it. I can give my personal testimony for what it's worth to those of you who want to listen. And that's the kind of things I talk to. I'm giving you my conclusions. There are other ways to deal with it. I've been there told too, you, buddy. Yeah, you've been there. I know you have. We talk about it a lot. But um, I've, I've argued for other people even. I've done different things, all sorts of things. It's, it's brutal, my friends. This is the ultimate tax. This is the evil empire at their best is income tax. That's at their best. And getting you to like it and be enthralled with it and fight for it. That's why the juries are impaneled. And they always, the government always wins when you go in front of the jury in an income tax. They almost. Almost. Not always, but almost. Well, that... That's a uh, man is fickle, but jurors uh, like the income tax. And they say, and they across the board, Hey, I'm paying income tax. You got to pay it too. He Maybe didn't, he didn't pay his fair share. <laughs> yeah. His fair uh, share and all that malarkey. What was, uh, uh, there's a great uh, quote from Napoleon that I heard years ago, uh, Brent. It says, I've learned a curious thing about men. They will die for metals. Well, put it more specifically, Roger, he said that. I think he said they'll die for a little piece of ribbon they can put on their chest. Same even thing. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. Of course, the ribbon is for the non-dress uniform, and the metal is for the dress uniform. That's the difference. But it's still the same thing. But he was he, he, he saw that, and that is true. Why is that true? 
because men crave more than any, men, not women. Women crave it, but not more than anything. As I've often said, women crave love more than anything. Men crave honor more than anything. But it goes to seed. It goes to seed, they, and they think they're getting it, and they're working for the devil sometimes, but sometimes they aren't. But that's why you can get men to, to fight wars, of course. I agree um, with you. I also heard a yeah. comment just in the last couple of days. It struck me, actually, talking about George Washington, who you mentioned a minute ago. When he died... The king yeah. of England issued a comment that one of the bravest, greatest men in the history of the world died, uh, uh, giving accolades to George Washington. I thought that I was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, of course, you want Go ahead, Roger. Well, Roger. the other thing, I'm just trying to, you've been talking for a minute, and I had a couple of things stored up. What started this was that uh, New Testament, give unto Caesar, render unto Caesar's was Caesar's. And John uh-huh. used to use that illustration in the seminars. That's why I'm having a hard time remembering. It's 30 years ago. But I remember it made an impact on me. That's why I kind of continue. And over the years of the show here, I've thought about it a couple of times, and I can't ever get it straight in my mind. And I guess I'm going to have to go back and connect with Glenn to get it because I'm sure Glenn remembers it better than me. But John's point was that when they were in the boat and took the coin out of the fish of the mouth, they were foreigners. They were up in Galilee. They weren't in Jerusalem. Okay? And and there was some point that he brought there on the tax code and us being foreign to Washington, D.C. And I, I can't connect all the dots, but I just remember him talking about it and the impact it made on me at the time. And I'll try and get with Glenn and get that straight. But there was a point he made there that was extremely legitimate. Well, Roger, the um – Oh shucks, my mind's racing. You brought you brought up things. I, I see your point, but um, there there's so much to be said about the evil empire and the tax, and that's why. I, and I all I can say, and all I want to say, is what the Bible says and what it teaches. That's why I I'm saying what I'm saying, and that's why also being a man, I increasingly as I get older, and you ought to be this way too, friends. You should be men of first principles of law, not details, first principles, constantly go back to the first principles. So when we go to the Bible, how do we discover what are the first principles of God's view of the income tax? We go back, not to the statutes, not to the commandments, but to the historical narratives, the, the affidavits, as Isaiah calls them, the sworn statements of what happened. And God uses those sworn statements of what happened, facts of the case, tells the story. And we draw out of that how God views the income tax of the evil empire and how we are to respond to it. If there was some verse in the Bible says, never pay an income tax, point blank, but I don't find that. But what I do find is that the income tax is evil and God delivers men from it. Let's start there and let's work it forward. And these things, historic, historic observation of historic fact, that's what you were talking about, and being in Galilee. Of course, I'm thinking, but they're still in the Roman Empire. They're still in the Roman Empire in Galilee. Uh, how did that affect? And Jesus Christ said at that time, pay it for you and me uh, getting the coin uh, because, uh, well, the, the point was he didn't want any hassles. That's what he was saying at that point. You can go back and read it for yourself. 
Does that mean that that is applicable in every case? Does that mean that that was an income tax? No, it was tribute. They call it tribute. And we could go into the details of all that. I don't want to do that. I want to stick to the fundamentals because the truth is I like things that are simple because you can only live, friends, by things that are simple. There isn't any other option. If you know the first principles, you then have the option of applying them to your particular circumstances. And when I have clients that have income tax problems, criminal and non-criminal, I say to them, uh, you have to make the choice here. I can uh, walk through with you that what are the most probable results of the choice you make. But you have to make the choice. I can't make it for you, but let's do that. And then we walk through the possible possible um, uh, outcomes, the likely outcomes of squaring off. For instance, some people want to go into court and square off with them, with the, with the government on this point of that. And not a good idea. Not a good idea. There are other ways. We are under orders, friends. And we are under the orders of the maker of heaven and earth. We are to do what he says in every situation. And the only way you can even come close to that is to have your nose in that book he calls the Bible. And bury your brain in it. Put it down in mental sod. Get your blood bibbling, as Spurgeon used to say. And then when the unexpected arises, you're trained to think in those terms. What you're trying to do, you don't want to... Listen, you are a slave, according to the Bible, to Jesus Christ, Yahoha. You're his slave. That's the only way you can cut that word. Now, I've said some negative things about John MacArthur. Let me say a positive thing. He recently wrote a book where he points out that the word doulos in the New Testament cannot mean anything but abject slavery. I agree with him. I've read everything I get my hands on about that Greek word. There's no other way to cut it. But I think you're better not to say slave. That's an ugly enough word. You're a, th- a man without Jesus Christ is a thrall. He likes it. Go ahead, Roger. Well, you know, it's, I put a lot of thought into this stuff over the years and, you know, everything boils down to dialectics. Okay. It's you're either free or you're a slave, right? Okay. That's right. Well, there's a dialectic in that dialectic. Okay. And that is to be free. You've got to be 100% free. Because even if someone owns point oh 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 one percent of your labor, you're a slave. I, 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 that's right, Roger. I see your point, and that's why I say to people, uh, don't just jump in and do something because you probably, um, most all cases, this is true of preachers. You probably don't know much about the Bible. I advise you. And that's why we teach the laws of nature and the laws of nature's God, the laws of nature unwritten, unwritten in the nature of creation. That's our common law. And and that is our law as Christian men and women and the laws of nature's God. And in cases of apparent inconstancy between the two, the laws of nature's God written, the Bible governs. I advise you, this is no small matter. Learn. Now, we come on here and we just talk. We talk randomly haphazardly and whatever comes up comes up and it's there's a place for that but on saturdays and on sundays on patriot soapbox i'm going through the bible as the bible progresses through the books of the bible right now we're going through romans on saturday and on sunday we're going through exodus if you want to really whoop 
the evil empire. Follow the orders of your captain. There is no other way. And you cannot understand your captain unless you take time to listen to other people talk. You look yourself and read. And both are important. You cannot, my friend, just go and read the Bible and say, I understand what I need to know. No. Bible says God has given teachers to his people. And the teachers that he gives, you listen to them, and then the Bible says you go look for yourself. That's the way it works. But you look for yourself so you know yourself. But you listen. And a Bible teacher, a teacher of law, and that's what the Bible is. It's the way things are, and they ain't going to change. That's law. If the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father God except through him, friends, that's a law. And it ain't going to change. The grace of God without works, salvation without works, is a law. And the Ten Commandments are law. Everything in the Bible is law. It is the will of the sovereign, and it won't change. And the way to learn it is to, is to hear. Don't, don't downgrade that. The trust in your maker comes, the Bible says it comes only by hearing. So Paul the Apostle says to Timothy, the young man, he says, when you're leading this church over here, give attention to reading the Bible out loud, publicly. Read it. And then he says, teach it. What it says is where it starts. What it means by what it says, that's the application in specific instances that only your life has and nobody else, and nobody's going to be able to do that to you. But it is the input of hearing, hearing it taught, hearing it read, looking at it yourself. Got to look at it yourself. Pardon? You've got to look at it yourself. That's the only way you make the information yours. Hearing me tell you something does not make the information yours. When I give you a reference and you go look at it, now it's not some guy telling me on the radio, I saw it. But Right, that's good, Roger. And if you don't know your eyes and your ears by listening and reading, you're you're not going to have the same impact. Uh, somebody tried to say something. Paul is trying to interrupt. Well, so I just I can, just want you to mention CommonLawyer.com he, before running. we run out of time. That I know that there's probably somebody that's going to coming in here with a question, Always. and then that's going to take us all the way up to the top of the hour. So I just want to get business done first. Go ahead, Brent. Well, I appreciate you, Paul. That's kind thing you do this now often i don't know who you are we've never met um i don't even know where you live paul but i thought first when you came on you were the paul from uh england that has been a part of this but then no i listened to you talk you're not paul from england (laughs) so uh, unless you're faking your accent uh but uh uh, appreciate it well what what we want to point out here is that you can go to www.commonlawyer.com. That's just type in common lawyer, commonlawyer.com. I come right to the top. And you can see how to join us on Patriot Soapbox on Saturdays and on Sundays on uh, Patriot Soapbox. And we're unpacking the book of Romans on Saturday. And on Sunday, we've moved from Genesis. Now we're into Exodus, and we're unpacking that. Clause by clause and verse by verse. The flow of it. You can also join us there. It tells you how to join us for our class at Winter's Inn. 
Sunday is in church, I-N-N, church, and then Winter's Inn is the law school, fashioned after the ends of court in our common law tradition, where we teach we teach uh, our common law. Right now, we're going through Magna Carta, clause by clause, blow by blow. We're not in a hurry. I started out intending to deliver 12 presentations over a period of 12 weeks. Now we're up to presentation number 30, and we're just over halfway through. That'll give you an idea. So the people that entered there, they're getting a bargain on that. And we record them all audio and visual. If you join us now, you can still get them all. But you can join us also for the the class. There are other classes there you can take advantage of. We've taught classes on contracts at common law, common law due process, which is our common law. We've taught a class how to tra- draft your own common law trust. We taught a class on that. Then we taught a class of 12 weeks on what is a common law trust and how does it work. On and on we go. Join us for that. Then you also can access there, get a copy of uh, Excellence of the Common Law, 948 pages, a book, comparative law text, comparing the law of the land, our law of the land, our common law, with the law of the city, the canon civil laws of Rome, which is the modern expression of the of martial of kind of a law, law of the city, the law of the land versus the law of the city. And then you can also access there the winterized version of the Bible, as one fella affectionately called it. No, it wasn't a fella, it was a gal. And I think she was from Australia. She called it the winterized version. Uh, That's a a common lawyer translates and annotates the Bible from the original tongues, uh, translating and annotating over 35,000 footnotes throughout the text of the context of the of the warp and the woof, roving through the Bible, all those footnotes, 165 appendices, and you can get it in hard copy. It's five volumes, a pretty large volume, seven, 800 pages per volume because the footnotes are so many, you know. But the translation is just good by itself. And I think we offer it also just the translation without the footnotes if you want just one volume. And the translation itself, we have in there, Roger. It's a family Bible. And the reason I did that and offered that is because family Bibles at common law still in every state, as far as I know, are good evidence of three things. If they're kept in, bound in the family Bible, three things, records of birth, records of land transfer, and records of death. If you have those three things in there, that's... that's, um, complete evidence of those matters in our common law courts. Most, Many of the states have passed statutes saying that, just to firm it up. But it's important you have a family Bible, my friend. And don't depend upon the courthouse to keep records of birth, death, and land transfer. Uh, some weird things happen. Right courthouse at home, little rural county, I went to the courthouse for a hearing and found out the courthouse, the, 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 the room where all that stuff was kept, burnt up. Yeah. Well, don't think the family Bibles didn't become important in my little county after that. Yeah. <laughs> People were looking for their old family Bibles to establish uh, records of land transfer, uh, birth, and death. And marriage. Marriage, that's important. Go ahead, Roger. What's that? No, I was just going to say all that's very important. And I remember you saying you had, we were talking about it on the show one day, and you went back and added those into your Bible, I believe. Yeah, I did. I, I Because I saw the importance. I said, after that fire, I said, Wow. 
people need to keep their own records, even if, and even if the courthouse burns up, even if they keep the records there. And the reason is, of course, uh, to keep your own records, to make it admissible, powerful evidence, if it's bound, bound in the family Bible, then it is powerful and acceptable evidence. Unimpeachable, I would say. Well, Pertinier, it, it, uh, of course, if there is evidence that there's a lie that's, that would overcome it, but that's true of evidence in the courthouse as well. Sure. Although it has, there, there is some difference of finality there. You know, to, per, per, to perfect information, you file it in the courthouse, it's perfected. That means you can't do any more to make it uh, what it claims to be. You, you could do other things, but there's nothing more you could do. That's why once you file a deed, uh, that's proof of ownership of real property or land. Well, the same thing is true with the family Bible, but to a different degree. There's a little bit of a different standard, but don't downplay it. Get you a family Bible. You can go to commonlayer.com and get the one we have there. It's the winterized version, but we have one there. Um, you can also get other books there by yours truly, a book uh, on the Constitution of the United States and Declaration of 76, clause by clause and blow by blow. It's about 240-some pages, uh, just going through the each of those documents together, what they say and what they mean by what they say. That's the ease of it. And then also um, a book on the right to remain silent, the history and use of that right. Very important that you understand that. And uh, other matters of common law significance I have there, uh, book on, books on uh, uh, the militia, the four militia clauses of our Constitution of the United States, breaking those down um, and expounding them and what they mean today. Well, back to you, Roger. Thank you, well, me, Paul, for... Yeah, well, we want to know about, let it, everybody know what you, uh, the incredible work you've done in your lifetime. Uh, does anybody have any questions or comments for Brent? As you're looking for the mute, I'll say that th- this uh, subject of this Galilee thing has come up in my mind a number of times over the years, and I can never solidify it in my memory, but I am going to try and reach out to Glenn and see if Glenn can help me put that back together where I can be talk about it intelligently because I feel like I'm fumbling for it, but I remember the impact it had on me in those seminars was uh, pretty dramatic, just like the impact of Revelation 18. John would always close those seminars with Revelation 18 uh, and go uh-huh. over all that. So I'll try and get with Glenn and see if I can get that straight in my mind. Has anybody got any comments or questions here before we close? Would you want to hear the text of those verses that, that might bring it to light? No, no I'll, I'll no, give it to no, Glenn because no. he was making another point, and he was he was bringing it back to what we talk about here being foreign to Washington D.C. And I just don't remember it clearly enough, but I will right. try and make a point to get with him and get that clarified because I, I was real green, but I remember it impacted me. Yeah, well, just le- read the twenty uh, seventh verse. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast and hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. But kind of more important up here. Let me see. Well, we got a minute. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? Verse 25, he says, yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, 
What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? And Peter saith of him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free. I think that's the key point. Mm-hmm. That's good, Murr. Thanks. Can't You can't go wrong reading the book. <laughs> no matter else what else you say. That's right. So anybody else got anything? We've got a couple of minutes left here. Uh, Roger, this is Cheryl on Florida. Can you hear me all right? Hear loud and clear. Okay, thank you. Um, I actually had some questions for you on the affidavit. So, uh, could you could we take some time tomorrow to do yes, that? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Why don't you join us and just start off the show uh, with it on Saturday, and we'll deal with them as best we can. Okay, yeah, because I got a letter back from the passport agency. Um, I have zero ID, so I can't do the affidavit because, uh, you know, it needs a notary. And so well, we can, need to get past this notary. Well, no, not really. Yeah, all right, so hold on. I, Cheryl, hold on a second. It doesn't have to be an affidavit. That's just the purest form. You can simply write a declaration. That's what I did earlier this year when I renewed my passport because I didn't want to go hire a, a, a lawyer to get it notarized, which is what you got to do here. So you open that up tomorrow yeah. on it. We'll talk about it, okay? Yes, thank you very much, sir. I'm on Florida. Yeah. Where, what so, part of Florida yeah, are you I in? Cheryl, what part, of, what, what part of Florida are you in? Uh, central. Okay. I'm a, an hour north of Tampa. Okay. All right. And and in a very bad county, you know, they're they're very corrupt. I mean, they they uh, actually said in the courtroom that the Constitution doesn't apply here. Well, <laughs> I, I, you know, technically they're right. What county? Uh, I'm in. I'm on Citrus. Okay, Citrus County. We'll come back tomorrow and we'll talk about a lot of that stuff. Okay. Okay, thank you very much, sir, and you have a wonderful day. Are you calling in from Ecuador? I'm in Ecuador right now. Yeah, okay. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Anybody else got anything real quick? It's me again. I just want to say gty.org is where um, John MacArthur is, and I'm going to send this link to you, uh, Roger, because, um, you know, it tells about what, what uh, Brent was just saying about Dulas and the slave, and and uh, very interesting. And there's well, an audio you can listen to the sermon. Right. Well, I'm, I mean, if anybody owns owns any percent of your labor, you're a slave. Doesn't matter what the percentage is. But he goes into whenever he does these things, he does deep dives into the numbers and everything. You know okay. how these things originate and the definitions. He does a really good one about wine too. You know, it's mostly fresh grape juice, but then they had it fermented so it was like health you know yep it was there two main things olive oil and grape juice well remdesivir is in red wine uh, skins and it is in the wine you drink and it's very beneficial for not the uh whatever the other thing is not yeah resveratrol that one too yeah i I, I can understand why anybody wouldn't get them mixed up uh okay um anybody else got anything we can talk about that stuff tomorrow or one other day so uh, nobody's got anything? Well, uh, Brent, as always, it's a pleasure to do a show with you, buddy. I mean, been 
enjoying each other on Fridays for a lot of years now, and I look forward to them, and I think the majority of the audience does too. So we're real grateful to you, my friend. Well, my pleasure, Roger, and the feeling mutual toward you and everybody else here. It's nice to think somebody's listening when you're talking. I can talk without anybody listening, but it's nice to somebody <laughs> I don't I like do doing that. I don't like doing that too much. I like the conversational oh, part. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> well, we'll uh, I think we're back on track with the electrical thing. So let's consider that we are going to have a show tomorrow and maybe a few. We can string a few in a row here uh, and get that out of the way. And appreciate you spending time with us today and listening to us. And uh, I just I'm so grateful to each and every one of you Uh, i tell you that on here and because you just don't know what people have been through to get this message in your lap okay fact that you responded to it is fantastic and certainly says something about you folks so uh anyway we'll be back tomorrow we'll see what goes on cheryl's got the affidavit question got a couple ideas on her getting some id down there and this that and the other And uh, we will discuss them more in-depth manana in la manana. So uh, we're going to dart off of the network here and uh, go about our day. And sure do appreciate you. And we hope to see you again soon, folks. Uh, Powerful message we got here. It's unfortunate so few people it resonates with. But maybe that'll change. See you tomorrow. Ciao.